your Bibles and let's turn to Genesis 22, 1 through 14. This is a story in the Bible that we're probably all familiar with. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, and go to the, the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, and I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham took him up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll go, we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And, he, and himself carried the fire in the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But there is, there is the lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two men went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. On the top of the wood, he then reached out his hand and took the knife and, and slay, to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, and Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord's will. Provide, And on that day, he said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Uh, Jim called me back in June and said, hey, I'd like for you to speak. I think it was the last couple weekends of August. Will you speak? And I said, yeah, I'll be glad to. Well, then the first of August was announced that that was going to be the, the come, welcome back from the, all the holidays in school. and We're going to have the fish fry. And I called Jim and I said, hey, Jim, do you realize that's the Sunday you've asked me to speak? I don't think you want me to speak that Sunday if you want everybody. And he said, uh, you don't want to speak? I said, no, I'd rather push it out another day. He said, that's fine. So I probably got the smallest crowd we ever had. <laughs> but that's okay. But, uh, but this story here has been on my heart since June when he first called me. Um, and it's kind of... Uh, a coincidence. I don't know if you'll call it a coincidence or just what happened, but uh, this is probably one of the greatest stories of faith in the Bible. I, I Googled it. Actually, Google what were the ten greatest stories in the Bible about faith. This, this came down to number two. The number one was, was of course, of Mary uh, when she conceived uh, Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That was the number one. But this is it. And, uh, and this is the stories about faith. And, you know, right now our country, the world, I mean, wow, we're struggling. There's so many folks are struggling uh, with health issues, you know, economic issues. Uh, we're just in uncharted territory. And uh, a few 
years ago, I walked into a, uh, see a client of mine in his office, and I picked up a magazine while I was waiting, and um, I come across this article, and I read this article, and it, it has been on my mind and heart for almost, probably, I don't know if it's a year or two, every time runs together. I even tried to Google it. I like to Google stuff, but I even tried to Google it, and I couldn't find the article. But the, but the article, the title of the article was Lies Told in Church. And, I, and that, that just kind of caught me off guard. I went to reading it. And um, it talks about the songs we sing in church. And the two songs that they, they, they talked about was Trust and Obey. And I didn't ask them to put Trust and Obey in the, um, the last song today. It was just placed in there. So, uh, and it, I surrender all. But that's what this article talked about, how we sing these songs in church. But then when we go outside these church, we don't live the songs that we sing. We don't live up to the songs we sing. And that bothered me. I, I grew up in a, uh, a primitive Baptist church. And one of the you know, big things that I, I always remember, we sang these old gospel songs. Uh, uh, Trust and obey, I surrender. All. I, I, love, I love the old gospel songs. I even like them now with the contemporary when they jazz them up a little bit. I even like that a little better, but... But these are old songs. But it, but this has really, really, really bothered me. That 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 that's the way folks see us. That sometimes as Christians, they look at the songs we sing, and they and they like, wow, they sing these songs, but they don't live up to them. There's four things that I, or excuse me, there's two things that I really, really love in life, um, and they're not they're worldly things. They're not biblical things. So I, I, I go ahead and tell you that and the first one is UGA football, University of Georgia football. Everybody knows I love University of Georgia football. Um, I've got probably the last three seasons recorded at my house and probably be watching a good bit of them the next couple of weeks. But uh, uh, I even got – you can come to my house and if you want to watch the Rose Bowl, I can tell you what the next play is going to be before the play snapped. And uh, I've watched it so many times. And Anna's like, what in the world are you doing? I'm like, I just like watching it, especially that game. I mean, you know, if you like Georgia football, you, you can't help but like that. But that's one of my, my uh, passions is Georgia football. My other passion is the game of baseball. I love the game of baseball. Uh, I, I love watching it. I, I, it. There's nothing better to me than watch a one-nothing baseball game. A lot of people don't like that, but – but to see a one nothing baseball game is just incredible. All the strategy, the pitchers, the coaches trying to trying to, to you know to figure out a way to score a run. It is incredible for me to watch. My four favorite baseball players. Number one is Pete Rose. Charlie Hustle. Love Pete Rose. Love to watch him play baseball. Uh, I can remember when he had the 44 game hitting streak. I remember the night the 44 game hitting streak got stopped. Um, when Gene Garber was the uh, reliever for the Atlanta Braves, Larry McWilliams started the game, pitched seven innings, and Gene Garber came in, and, and Pete Rose tried to bunt. In the ninth, he came up in the ninth inning, made the last out, tried to bunt, and got out. He ended the 44-game hitting streak. Uh, he just played the game like it's supposed to be played. Another favorite player is Dale Murphy for Atlanta Braves. Dale was an All-American guy uh, back in the 80, uh, 1982 season. Dale Murphy was a Mormon, and Mormons have – uh, just high morals. It, it, I, I've got a friend that's a Mormon. Those guys are just, they have, they're, oh man, it's just incredible. 
But I will never forget 1982 when they won the pennant. Um, they were celebrating in the dugout, I mean, in, in the clubhouse, and they had the champagne going everywhere, pouring it and all that, and they interviewed Dale Murphy, and he was completely dry. Didn't have, a, didn't have no champagne on him because that's how much respect that the players had for Dale Murphy. They didn't pour any on him because they knew that he was highly against that. So they sit there and interviewed. He was completely dry. And I, I just, oh, man, Dale Murphy was just my favorite player back then. Next is Chipper Jones. In 19, uh, I think it was 88, um, the Atlanta Braves had a number one draft pick. Uh, there was a guy named Todd Van Poppel that was supposed to be the, the, the number one draft pick that year. Uh, Van Poppel had committed to the University of Texas to play baseball. Uh, so Van Poppel informed the Atlanta Braves that if you choose me, because Braves were not very good, <clears throat> he said, I'm going to sign with the University of Texas to play baseball. So the Atlanta Braves decided not to draft Van Poppel, and they drafted a kid out of Jacksonville, Larry Chipper Jones. Van Poppel got drafted late in the first round by the Oakland Athletics, and because of their club was, in, was doing real well, he decided to forego his senior year. I mean, uh, to forego college and sign with the Oakland Athletics. Todd Van Poppel pitched one year in the Major League Baseball. One year. He made it to the big leagues one year. Chipper Jones played his whole entire career with Atlanta Braves. Uh, and, and if you watch the game of baseball, um, he, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, if you ever sit there and just listen to Chipper Jones talk about hitting, it's one of the most incredible things if you, if you enjoy the game, to watch him talk about the game, just how to hit the baseball. It's, just, it's awesome. My last favorite player is uh, Greg Maddox. Um, Greg Maddox was the leading pitcher on the best rotation, arguably the best rotation ever in the game of baseball. It was him and uh, uh, Glavin and Smoltz. Uh, Maddox won 355 games, four-time Cy Young winner, 18-time Gold Glove winner. He had over 3,000 strikeouts and only 999 balls. In his career, he only went 3-0 on a batter 310 times. And on those 310 times, 177 of them were intentional walks. I mean, just, he won 355 games. That, that is incredible. On July the 22nd, 1997, he threw a nine inning game against the Cubs. He only threw 76 pitches in nine innings a game, uh, a major league baseball game. 63 of those were strikes. Brian Wiggins and Greg Wilder-Neal, that's, that's unheard of. I mean, you, you just, that's, that's less than nine, nine pitches an inning. I mean, you just don't hear that. 1994, his ERA was 1.56. And that's, and for the folks that don't understand baseball, that, or doesn't know, that's your unrun average. That means the Braves, if they scored two runs, there was a very, very good chance they were going to win the baseball game. They were going to win that game. So I love, I love to watch a guy like Greg Maddox pitch. You don't see it very often that, that uh, the game of baseball has turned into these guys that can throw it 99 miles an hour and try to throw it by them. But Greg Maddox, he, used, he had a unique talent. He could, he could just pitch. He didn't overpower people, but he would bore them to death and they would – 
ground, it hit ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. Uh, four, four years ago, um, well, it was five years ago, uh, I got a call from one of my best buddies, uh, Stetson Bennett. Stetson's from Pierce County. You, going back to UGA football, his son's the backup quarterback at the University of Georgia right now. But, had, but Stetson called me, and we, we were talking business, and, and um, his little, we call his son Little Stet. I said, how's Little Stet? How's the ball going? And um, my friends in college all called me C. That was my nickname in college. Everybody called me C. And so he goes, C, man, you got to come over to Wayne County and see this guy pitch. He said, I know you like watching pitching. He said, there's a kid over here named J.D. Paul. He said, you got to come see. He's got three pitches. He, he touches 90, throws a nasty hook, and he can place his uh, change up, his off-speed pitch anywhere he wants, anywhere. So what that means, touches 90, means he throws a fastball that's at right at 90 miles an hour. The nasty hook is a curveball that you, I mean, when you say nasty, is nasty. And um, then the off-speed pitch, that means he can place that pitch anywhere he wants to. He said he's the most incredible high school pitcher I've, I've watched play. And I said, Stead, is that David Paul's son? He said, yeah. He, he said, you remember? I said, oh, yeah, David Paul and I were big buddies in college. And um, I said, I hadn't seen David Paul in 30 years. I said, how's he doing? He said, man, David Paul's a lot different than he was in, high, in college. That's what good. I said, I'm glad to hear that. Um, so when I got this information from Stead, I started – following this kid started I, I got on the internet and googled him and uh he'd si he'd done sign with georgia southern he, he was going to play college baseball at georgia southern um after this was his senior year there was a chance jd paul was going to get drafted by the major so i started following this i even I'll, I'll admit this i even got on the radio and listened to him some of their playoff games he would pitch game one and three in the playoffs that, back then they didn't have the uh inning pitch so he would pitch and uh, they were winning the first game one to nothing, maybe win the third game two to one. They went all, all the way to the state semifinals. I mean, this kid could pitch. And I, and, um, I kept saying I want to go watch him play, but I never got over there to watch him play. Um, June that year, on a Saturday night, I get a call from a good friend of mine from Jessup. He said, man, I need you to be in prayer. A kid named J.D. Paul was killed in a car wreck this afternoon. He had just graduated from, from um, high school. My heart sunk to my feet. Uh, it, it, I mean, I, I hadn't seen David Paul in 30 years, but my heart sunk to my feet for him. And uh, that January, this same guy that called me came over. We had a Bible study over here one day, and he brought a buddy of his, and they came over. He said, man, I'd like to do something like this. And Jessup, Bert Oliver and I said, hey. He said, we'll be glad to start a Bible study in Jessup. You just tell us. They said, how about Thursday mornings at 630? Let's do it. So four years ago, in February, I can remember that because Burton just turned 60. We started going over to Jessup um, at uh, 6.30 in the morning and started a Bible study. David Paul walks into the door, our first Bible study. David Paul and I hadn't seen each other in 30 years, and we hugged each other's neck. And I said, man, I know, I, we talked about his son. Well, for the last four years, I have seen a man walk in faith like I've never seen a man walk in faith. I mean, wow. He has been a, just a testimony to how him and his wife have walked in, in this faith. I mean, 
he said the hours they spent, the hours they spent on that baseball field were all gone now. But he could still use J.D.'s life to go and to witness the folks. And David and, and Christine have gone to, they've driven counties away to meet with, with parents that have, that have experienced the same situation they have. He's spoken in church, FCA. He, you know, he just has stood up and, and he tells me, he says, I know I've lost him. I've lost him, but I will have him for the eternity. And he said, that's the way I look at it. He said, he, he, he's honest with me. He says, there's days that I just have to go in the closet and have a pity party. He said, but I know God has a plan, has a purpose for this. He says, I, I got faith in that. He said, my faith in God has grown so much since we lost J.D. The songs David sing, he lives it out. And I've witnessed it for four years. And it's just been an incredible, credible, uh, just to watch a man. I, I, I don't, I'm not around his wife much, but just to watch a man live out the songs he sings. I read a quote the other day. And the quote says, If your faith rests in your idea of how God is supposed to answer your prayers, then that kind of faith is very shaky it is bound to be demolished when the storms of life hit. But if your faith rests on the character of him who is internal, I am, then that's the kind of faith that is rugged and will endure. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This says confidence and assurance secure the beginning and the ending point. The beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. He is who he says he is, and at the ending point, he is believing in God's promises. He will do what it says. When we believe that God will fulfill the promise, even though we do not see that promise materializing yet, he demonstrates true faith. You know, we've had folks in this church that lived out the songs they sung. Uh... Vic, the other night when you spoke, you were living out the song of And it was, it was, that was just an awesome, awesome testimony if you did not hear that. Mr. Richard and Miss Judy, you've lived out the songs you sung. My mother-in-law, she lived out the songs she sung. Vance Riggins, he lived out the songs he sang. Wow. These people, when they walked out their door, you never question whether they were living out the songs they sang. There's a story of a guy named Charles Bondi. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Charles Bondi. Charles was, back in, in the 1800s, was a tightrope walker. They stretched the tightrope across the Niagara Falls. And he walked across that thing with a wheelbarrow. And this is in the 1800s. And when he got over there on the other side, uh, the crowd was just cheering. And he, he looked at them, he says, you think I can do it again? And they all like, yes, we know you can do it again. He said, well, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> God wants us to get in the wheelbarrow. God wants us to have that faith and get in the wheelbarrow.
few weeks ago, David Paul called me on a Tuesday. He said, Charlton, you know where this place over in Glenville is? Uh, the winery, the Glenville winery? I said, yeah. He said, we got to come over there on a Friday night in a few weeks. He said, uh, J.D.'s best friends get married, and they're having a wedding uh, rehearsal dinner there. And um, they've asked Christine and I to come and sit in J.D.'s place. And I said, what an awesome opportunity, David. I said, this is, this is good. And he said, uh, can I be honest with you? I said, yeah. He said, I'm not really looking forward to it. He said, this is the first time that all the pallbearers have got back together to be since J.D.'s death. Well, the week afterwards, when we walk into Bible study, I, uh, I said, J.D., I said, David, uh, how'd it go? And a big grin came across his face. He said, you're not going to believe this. I said, tell me. He said, well, uh, we got there and all the, the, the pallbearers were there and, um, you know, it's just a great, great uh, rehearsal dinner. And he said, the, uh, this man came up to me. He said, are you, are you David and Christine Paul? He said, yeah. He said, do you mind if I talk to you? And he said, no. He said, uh, this kid that, that was getting married had, had, had uh, graduated from Georgia Tech and um, was uh, out working now. But uh, he started Georgia Tech on the Thursday before the accident on that Saturday. Well, he came home on Sunday after the accident, and they had the funeral on Tuesday, and he was a pallbearer. And he went back to Georgia Tech on Thursday. Parents were really worried about this kid. So they pick up the telephone and call Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech then refers them to the Baptist Student Union. Well, they call the Baptist Student Union, and this man that they were talking to answered the phone. He was the pastor at the Baptist Student Union. And the dad told him about that his son was on his way back up there. They were real worried about him. And the guy said, well, I'll reach out to him. So he called him, and um, the next morning they had uh, uh, coffee. This kid now is going into the ministry. Um, he is uh, going into full-time ministry. And the, the preacher said, David, Christine, he said, your faith in J.D.'s accident is going to change, going to change the world, man. He said, this guy's, this guy's fired up. He said, he's going into full-time ministry. And you're, you're going to see fruit, man. You're going to see fruit of the faith you have. And David said, wow. He said, God answered my prayer. I'd always wondered. You know, my prayer is that when I stand in the presence of God and that all in that awesome experience when I walk through the, the gates, that he's gonna say, You lived out the songs you sang. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen.